0: If you are interested in a career in the finance field, more specifically investments, or if you are just exploring your career options for something bigger, for something more lucrative, this episode is for you. How is it going? I'm so excited to have you. This is Jen Hempel, your host. In this podcast, as you know, we are always talking about money. And my goal is to give you as much knowledge as possible. Some will be applicable to you now, and some may not. But because knowledge is power, and I want you to always be powerful, I wanted to have this guest on this show. Today's special guest is Carmen Ortiz McGee. She is the Chief Operating Officer of the National Association of Investment Companies, otherwise known as NAIC, the trade association and the largest network of diverse owned private equity firms and hedge funds. She is a passionate advocate for diverse and women-owned businesses and regularly speaks at conferences and events on various issues related to empowerment of a women's business, scaling diverse businesses, authentic leadership among others. In today's episode, you will not only get to know Carmen, but learn a little bit about alternative investments and how this can be an optional career for those of you that are really into investments and really understand the ins and out of it, or maybe you're just exploring a new career. Ready? Let's go and meet Carmen. Bienvenida. Carmen, it's such a pleasure to have you with us on Her Dinero Matters. I'm excited to learn more about you. I mean, goodness, your resume and everything that you have accomplished. That is just something to be said about that. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm excited to do this. Well, Jen,
1: I'm so happy that you invited me to be a part of this conversation. It's a really important one. And when I learned of the opportunity, of course, I would say yes, and be here and share all of the good things that I can and be helpful in any way that I can.
0: Awesome. Well, As usual, we start on this podcast by going back in time. So if you could take us back in time and tell us a little bit about your upbringing, the experience and lessons, because we really want to understand your money story, what has shaped you, your relationship with money, everything that you pretty much do with money, in terms of your relationship and what you think of money. So take us back in time, if you would and tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am The only daughter of a single Puerto Rican mother. And I was born in Germany. I come from a a military family. And when I was about five years old, we moved back to Puerto Rico. Unfortunately, there was no market for what my mother wanted to do. She wanted a career in military intelligence. And so we ended up here in the DC area when I was very young. As good Puerto Rican mothers do, she put me in Catholic school right away. And so I was kind of always the only one of me growing up, you know, and she was, again, a single mother. She had one income. We were blessed that she was able to succeed in her career and advance in her career pretty steadily, but things were really tight. We had to make choices. I'll say it like that, you know, and so we started living in a really humble apartment in sort of the Arlington, Virginia area back in those days when it was still humble over there. (laughs) And then, you know, eventually we made our way to my mother bought her own home for us. And what I always saw, her practice was really, if I can't buy it with cash, I'm not going to buy it. Credit cards were always like a really bad word in my house. My mom would have one that she would kind of use from time to time if she absolutely had to, but that's sort of the idea of using other people's money was really not embraced when I was growing up. My family was really conservative. It could have been the military background. My grandfather was super conservative. And I remember when my mom had the opportunity to choose between what is like a 401k in her government work, She decided to stick with the pension because it was much more secure, right? It was certain, pay this much in and I'm going to get this much in. So I know what I'm going to get. You know, now that we've gone through 2008, I think she's probably really glad that she did that. And it has worked out wonderfully for her. But, you know, for us, again, things were lean, things were tight. We always had to make choices. I never had the cool jeans and cool tennis shoes <laughs> growing up. And and our home, again, was a really humble home for just the two of us. Everything for us was about saving, 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 not spending, being really careful and judicious with every penny. But, you know, I sort of brought that with me as I grew up. And so when I was in college, I never had a credit card in college. I never had any of those things. I worked to put myself through college my mother was supporting me with the tuition but everything else i had to pay for and eventually i had to take over the tuition as well <laughs> for me money it wasn't a well informed comfortable relationship with money we didn't grow up talking about you know managing a budget and having different kinds of accounts and how do you really maximize your wealth right because wealth wasn't even a thing right
0: As Latinos, as Latinx, I think we just are, I mean, in my experience and everybody I speak to, it's just survival is so ingrained that when you survive that's success and we just don't think beyond that. And if we think about our Latin American countries, what happens when it comes to pension plans or investments? They look at the US to what they're doing and they're trying to duplicate their own, which I mean, I'm from Colombia, I only know what's going on in Colombia. And sometimes that it's not necessarily the best thing or however they did it. I don't know the ins and outs. So we just don't have that experience, right? And we have to learn it. And I think that conversation is definitely shifting. I mean, seeing examples of you, the millennials that are out there, that are on TikTok, that are on Instagram, that are really talking money and building wealth. And there is no shame. There's no guilt because we tend to have this guilt around having more money than our families. Absolutely. So. I digress.
1: (laughs) I just had to get that in. That was what I was going to say, right? It was like, almost like money was a dirty word, right? Wealth was a dirty word. It wasn't encouraged to pursue wealth for wealth's sake.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The messaging for me was, you know, go to a good school, get good grades, get a good job, work hard. Right. And no credit cards. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so there was no credit cards. You know, if you can't afford it with cash, Don't buy it. There was no talking about this percentage should go into your savings account. This percentage, you know, it was a very simple way of looking at money. I wasn't really exposed to wealth for wealth's sake, or even as the result of hard work and having it not be a bad word until I joined an organization and this was, I was 30 years old and this was an organization called New America Alliance. And it was in its infancy years, five years old. It was founded by Raul Isaguirre and Henry Cisneros, who are two gigantic leaders in our community. And they thought that the Latino community in the United States had achieved enough wealth and influence and power that we could build an organization that would drive change from the top down, rather than what most of our organizations do, which is from the ground up. Right. Cuando yo te digo... Que que en esta I had never seen Latinos with this level of wealth and sophistication, and it literally changed my life. It changed what I understood was possible. It changed, you know, for them, it was, there's no shame in doing well. The better you do, the more good you can do. Right. And there was a strong sense of philanthropy and strategic philanthropy in this organization. And so it really, it was then that I really started trying to figure out, okay, how do I get in this game? For me, it was really about learning and absorbing everything I could from all of the conversations. It also happened to be my baptism by fire into the world of high finance. Mm. And when I got there, I didn't know the difference between a pension fund and a broker dealer. Right. And I tell that to everyone. I had no idea what this world was about. In college, I was a psychology major and I wanted to help other people, specifically other Latinos, access excellent institutions of higher education. That was my driving force for how I started on this path. And I knew nothing about this world. And so it was a huge learning, a huge learning experience. And and thankfully, there were some wonderful people who took me under their wing and answered all of my crazy questions and exposed me to things that were really helpful and instructive.
0: That's wonderful. It's interesting how the path that we go on in life and the turns and twists into where we are now. And I'm curious, and you've kind of hinted a little bit, and i I'm sure part of it is your upbringing and probably maybe some other experiences that you had in your life. But I'm curious, you have always been focused on advocating for economic opportunity for underserved communities. What drove that? Was there a specific experience that you have, something that you observed that really where you decided I need to put some really a lot of time and effort in this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It started out, my desire to want to help others came from my always being on the periphery. So when I went to school, high school and elementary school and middle school, all of that, I was always, like I said, one of the very few people in those private schools that didn't come from money. I was surrounded by the children of senators and really successful car dealership franchisors. And I mean, people who had wealth to spare. And I would go to their houses. And, you know, as a kid, you measure yourself against others. And so I was never that thing. And I always felt on the outside. Mm -hmm. I always felt marginalized. And so I was blessed, though, I did well, I had good grades, and I got into the University of Virginia. And when I got there, there were 1.67% 1.67% of the total population were Latinos. Most of whom came from were the international elite that could afford the international education. Mm-hmm. So they weren't even American Latinos. And so a uh, girlfriend of mine, Colombiana también, de hecho, <laughs> we decided we are gonna do something about that. And so my first foray into advocacy was founding the Latino Student Admissions Committee at the University of Virginia. And this had two goals. First was to increase the recruitment of American Latino students and to educate them about how they can indeed access this level of education. And then secondly was to educate the university community about the patchwork that is Latino culture. Amazingly, that freaking thing still exists. The organization is, is still awesome. alive and driving and, and doing good work at the university. But it was through that relationship. Her name was Elsa. And she was a year ahead of me. She graduated. And when I was graduating, she was at AT&T. And they were courting the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce as a client. And so she's like, hey, listen, I know you're looking for a job. I think there's this organization that you really enjoy being a part of. We're going to have them there. You should come, right? So relationships, I'll say, relationships are a thread and a theme throughout my entire life personally and professionally. So I was exposed to the USHCC. Now, I wanted to focus on education, but the USHCC focuses on small business Mm -hmm. and access to capital and growth of Latino businesses. And it was there where, again, I was thrown into the fire about the importance of our businesses to our communities, because they are sources of wealth and wealth is what provides access to better education, better quality healthcare, better food, better jobs, right? Better everything. I became extraordinarily passionate in that first job out of college about creating access and opportunity for Latinos and Latino businesses in particular. And then it it expanded to sort of diverse businesses more broadly. But, you know, wealth is the thing and it is the thing we as a community, we don't talk about, but it is what creates, it is the great equalizer.
0: I'm taking a quick second to interrupt your listening to remind you. This show relies on your support to continue to grow. If you get a ton of value, it would mean everything if you can hit the follow button on wherever you listen to, share with a friend, and give us a quick and honest review. Gracias y te mando muchos abrazos. Talk to us about those opportunities specifically for women and people of color who've just had their doors closed on them. And, you know, you talk about capital and when you talk about the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce on how you wanted, where you were helping to provide that access and so access to capital, because we know that Latino owned businesses, what happens they either don't know of the opportunities, don't know how to access the opportunities, and therefore they self-fund their opportunities, whether they borrow from their family members, whether they go into their savings, which, you know, it depends on the situation and the business, but that's risky, right? That can be risky. So talk to us about how, I guess we should start with your company, the National Association of Investment Companies. And- Talk to us about how you help. I'm just curious because this is an area that is such a need, such a need for that. So talk to us about how you all help to create those. Yeah.
1: I'm going to go back and then I'll come back to NAIC.
0: Absolutely. The number one
1: thing that I would say is everything is relationships, right? Relationships, 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 relationships with your bank, relationships, with companies broadening your network to ensure that people know who you are, what you do, what your expertise is, you know, what value you bring. And this is whether you have a business or whether you are just a professional looking to grow, right? So often we put our heads down and we work hard and we hope that that's going to be recognized, right? That opportunities will come our way because we're doing the best work. But the truth of the matter is we have to put ourselves out there. We have to seek relationships that can educate us, that can guide us, that can open doors for us, and that will advocate be champions for us. The U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce does that, particularly for small businesses, giving them access to corporate America, giving them access to banking relationships, educating them about the types of capital that are available to them to fund their businesses. And, you know, there are a lot of platforms out in the world now that are focused on this, right? We're talking 20, however many years ago, right? When I first started my career, but now there's just, it's so incredibly important to be educated and to build the relationships that will create access. And organizations like the USHCC is one. Another group that I'll mention is Eureka, U-R-E-E-K-A, Eureka, what they do is they provide capacity building. So they help with strategy and growing your sales plans, marketing, relationships, access to capital, all of those things that are necessary to really help businesses grow and thrive. So fast forward to, I mentioned the New America Alliance, and it was there that I really was exposed to asset managers, asset management. And you know these are people who own firms that manage money and they manage money for what are called institutional investors. These are entities like pension
0: plans. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you.
1: Foundations, university endowments, what they call outsourced chief investment officers that sort of invest on behalf of their clients, family offices, right? The entities that represent the wealth of high net worth individuals. And so it was there that I was first exposed to this whole world. And I really understood its power to create wealth for the asset managers. But the truth of the matter is that the doors were closing in their faces for being Latino, for being A woman, don't have the nerve to be Latina, right? Mm -hmm. Both diverse and a woman. Because there is unfortunately an inherent haircut in terms of value, an enhanced sense of risk that is assigned to women and people of color who are in this space. And so, again, these are some of the most amazingly brilliant, successful, capable people. They've gone to all the schools they were supposed to go and did really, really well. They worked at all of the investment shops and all of the private equity firms and all of those things, and they cut their teeth and built really outstanding careers and track records. They checked that box. And then they had the temerity, the courage to step out and build their own firms to continue with all of the great expertise that they've built. And now, all of a sudden, the door's close in their face. And I just think that's tragic and unfair and wrong. And so the NAIC, the National Association of Investment Companies, advocates on behalf of diverse and women-owned private equity firms and hedge funds, and really all of the alternative investment classes. So that also includes real estate, private equity. It includes infrastructure. It includes private credit and a variety of, of other asset classes. But our members are small businesses, just like in any other industry. And so they face the same challenges. One of our biggest areas of focus is increasing access to capital. It's the same story, except in our situation, we create bridges and open doors to those institutional investors that I was mentioning earlier, right? The pension funds, the foundation's endowments, insurance companies, corporations, some of them still have pension funds. And so we work really hard to build those relationships, open the doors, educate the investors about how these diverse managers actually outperform the general market and should be considered and given the opportunity to receive capital.
0: So talk to us a little more for those listening. You mentioned alternative investments. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to investing, especially in our community, and that's changing, as I mentioned before, people are overwhelmed with the thought of where to start, right? Mm -hmm. Some people do we need to do a stock. So of course, there's robo advisors, there's all sorts of different things. So when it Mm -hmm. comes to alternative investments, if you could talk to us about what those are, and maybe there's pros and cons to to everything, Mm -hmm. and who maybe should be considering Mm -hmm. what you all are helping. with. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, happy to do that. So alternative investments We'll focus on private equity specifically. Okay, okay? perfect. So private equity, we call it patient capital. And the reason we call it patient capital is because when you get the infusion of capital, you don't have to pay it back until there's a liquidity event. Like you sell the company and now you have proceeds to pay your investors back and you take whatever the difference is, whatever the, the agreed to terms are. The beauty of that is that you get a big chunk of capital at one time, that you can then apply to all of your growth strategies. And whether it's marketing, whether it's hiring sales teams, building out or acquiring technology, you have the ability to do those things without worrying about how to service them on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis like you have to with debt. Mm -hmm. When you take out a loan, you've got to pay that in a regular clip from the moment that you take out the loan. Right. And so that's the difference. Now, The downside of it is, quote unquote, downside, right? I'm going to put that entre comillas because it's a matter of whether you're willing to take on these terms. But the sources of private equity will take on an ownership percentage of the business. So it's important to know where you are in your business's life cycle to know what kind of capital you should pursue. So whether it's venture capital, whether it's growth capital, Or whether you're ready to sell your company to a private equity firm, and that's a buyout, right? And so you have to know where you are and the type of capital you need. And then again, you've got to build relationships with capital sources in advance of the need for capital. Now, let's go back. Most Latinas, we don't know these sources of capital. You know, we didn't grow up with our, you know, mothers and fathers and tias and tios, right? Abuelas talking about you know, the private equity investor they work with or that they know, right? But there are organizations like the National Association of Investment Companies, the Angel Capital Association, the National Venture Capital Association. These all have lists of their member firms that and then usually links to the websites as well. So that, you know, you can start to get smart about the kinds of firms that are out there in the different categories of capital, and then figure out where the alignments are, right? Do they invest in your industry? Are they more operationally focused? Are they more focused on the financial aspects of the business? How are they focused? And then, you know, reaching out to them, investors are always looking for great deals. They're always looking for great deals, right? It's the lifeblood of the business. And they love to meet people early before they need the capital so they can watch the growth curve Mm -hmm. and then they can build a relationship. And the sense of what we call in our business high conviction, meaning that they feel comfortable enough to give a million, three million, five million, twenty five million dollars to help grow the business. So, again, relationships are going to be a recurring theme in all of my messaging, but also educating yourselves about who's out there and leveraging the resources that are out there. You know, from a personal investing standpoint, we talked about Beatriz Acevedo earlier, who's just Mm -hmm. what an amazing woman and human being. And then what an incredible company she's building in Suma Wealth, right? It's growing. It's a fintech company and they have have you had her on your show before? We
0: have. And she was Absolutely. actually one of our speakers for our event, Financially Strong Latina.
1: Well, perfect. And yep. you all know what I'm talking about. You know, they provide culturally relevant training around money. And there are, I mean, TikTok, you, you know, it's good and it's bad. But Suba Wealth is a great place to learn how to invest, how to manage your money, how to begin to position yourself to move towards building real wealth.
0: Right. No, thank you for that. So when it comes to, let's say, the people that you focus on in terms of your organization, your company, are business owners, mm-hmm. and then you advocate for women, people of color, yes. and I presume, because there's a lot that I need to learn for sure, but yeah, I presume because you mentioned you need to know, are you wanting this capital for growth, or like what you're looking for, mm-hmm. and do you all provide that? type of education at your company? Because you mentioned members, it sounds like you can become a member.
1: So we do not focus. Remember our members, they are small businesses, Mm -hmm. but they're asset management firms, right? That's the universe that we focus on because we're a trade association for them. But there are groups, right? Like I mentioned Eureka, like the US Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, That absolutely do focus on entrepreneurs, right? And there are local chambers, right? That absolutely focus. The other resource for entrepreneurs is the Minority Business Development Agency. They have councils all over the country that also provide education around the types of capital that are available to entrepreneurs. So definitely take advantage of those to learn, again, the type of capital and then where you fit in the continuum from a creating opportunities for Latinas in our space. I love talking about this. We have an initiative that we call Women in Alternatives. This effort seeks to increase the presence of diverse women in the alternative investment field. And we have three components. We call it the in, up, and beyond strategy. For in, we have an internship program, and this is really important. And I hope everyone's listening to this. This is a program where we recruit women, diverse women, from non-traditional fields of study at the undergraduate, pre-graduate, and graduate levels. So these are women who might be studying environmental science and engineering and healthcare and marketing who have never considered high finance. Or private equity as a career path. We recruit those women and we place them in internships at private equity firms. Why that matters is private equity is notoriously insular. It is a really tough industry to break into, but we create that access. We create the awareness of how these women's skill sets, these young women's skill sets, can absolutely be relevant in this space. And why does that matter? It matters because private equity has created more diverse billionaires faster than any other industry. And so, you know, I share with people, we have five diverse billionaires in our membership alone and we have 140 members. That is An enormous concentration when you think about the number of diverse billionaires that are just even exist in our country. Right. And it's because this industry creates vast amounts of wealth in fairly short periods of time, fairly comparatively short periods of time. And the opportunity to expose young women, young Latinas, young African-American women, Asian-American women to this career path when they've never thought that there was a place for them here is literally transformational for them. I could talk (laughs) about this program forever, but I'll try to keep it brief. You know, we had women who literally changed their career track, their program of study after participating in our internship program and then had the opportunity to get right back into other internships with other private equity firms. It's really, listen, talent is equally distributed, right? Every community, every gender, all of us are brilliant and have the ability to achieve and do incredible things. What is not equally available is opportunity and access. So if we can create the pathways and open the doors and let them see people like them who are doing it, right? right? One of our members that I'll mention, Ivelisse Rodriguez-Simon, Puerto Ricania, is the founder of Avante Capital. And she has an extraordinarily successful firm. She's a, Her particular strategy is an SBIC firm, small business investment company strategy. And, and she's doing extraordinary well and building wealth and then has the opportunity to create opportunities for others. And so, you know, I can't say enough that programs like this can be life altering for our young women.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story on your member and educating because like this is an area that I have little knowledge in and a lot of us do as well. So I love that your company advocates. I love that for us and really has, because it's an internship, right? So the
1: paradigm changers, yes. Because I, I got stuck on the internship because I love the young, the babies, right? I love okay. them. <laughs> but yeah, so the paradigm changers for the end component of our program is an internship. We're going to be opening applications next week on our website naicpe.com. So for anyone who's listening that is undergraduate, pregraduate or graduate or has an undergraduate, pregraduate or graduate young woman, latina that is interested in learning more about the program, it'll we're going to launch on Monday afternoon. So I definitely encourage people to visit our website and our LinkedIn we'll be announcing it and and you know kind of wallpapering the universe with information about it.
0: I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that because I know when when it comes to the financial Industry, there's not that's changing. And obviously, you're a part of that change. There's not a lot of Latinos. And I know in the area of like uh, certified financial planners, there's like a 1% or something like that that is Latinos. And I can imagine that in your field, there's probably less than 1% overall, less than 1%. And you're working to change that. And I love that because I know that. And actually, I think of Beatriz each time I say this, because she said it so well at our event is how us as Latinx or as Latinos, we are the ones that spend the most, yes. but we save the least, right? So if we're able to, I have my own reasonings why those stats are the way they are, and yeah. we don't have time to get into that. History, right? it, yeah. Right. But we have the ability to change the projection of of our wealth right there's that huge wealth gap and yes. i know women are known to be really good investors just saying <laughs> We're we're good investors. I really love the role and, and the work that you're doing. I appreciate you. I know we can continue this conversation. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being here for educating us for sharing your story as well. And a little bit about what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. hope that you enjoy getting to know Carmen and getting exposed, if you haven't been already, to the world of alternative investments. I want to sum up real quick the terms, some of the terms that you heard. Alternative investments, they're financial assets that don't fit into conventional equity like Income and cash categories, private equity, hedge funds, real estate, commodities like raw materials or agricultural products, tangible assets, venture capital, art, and antiques. So that's alternative investment. So that encompasses the private equity and hedge funds that we also heard her talk about. Now, private equity. If we get into the private equity, it's where there's ownership or interest in entity not publicly listed, hence the word private, and you invest directly in companies. The capital comes from high net worth individuals and firms that purchase stakes in private companies or public companies, which plans to take them private or delist them from the stock exchange. And the pay in the profession in private equity varies. It really is comprised of a management fee and a performance fee. Commonly, 2% of the assets and the performance fee is 20% of the gross profits. The hedge fund is actively managed alternative investments using pool money, using non-traditional and a variety of tactics, higher fees and minimum deposits. So these types of investments are riskier and you really need to understand a lot about these alternative investments. But the payoff is greater. Now, the pay in a hedge manager profession is above average, just like the private equity. And it's got a similar structure of the 2%, they call it 2 and 20 fee structure, where you get 2% of the assets and a performance fee of 20% of the gross profit. So I wanted to just sum that up. I know. She mentioned some of these things, but I want you to have clarity as to what these things really are. Now with Carmen, her company is a network of people in alternative investments. And as you heard, Carmen's focus is bringing in more people of color, bringing more of a diverse group because it definitely can bridge the wealth gap. To connect with Carmen, you can simply go visit her website or her company's website at naicpe.com. I will have that link in the show notes. So I know today's episode was a little different. Obviously, it was still talking about money, but it was something we've never talked about before. So I thought it was valuable to bring Carmen on. Now, shifting gears here from the topic of investments to the topic of budgeting, because I want to make sure you are aware of our private podcast that you've heard me talk about these past few weeks, hopefully, called Budgeting Truths Uncovered. In this limited series, we explore the world of budgeting, discover the truths of budgeting that almost nobody discusses. And if budgeting has been a sore topic for you, make sure to sign up for this private podcast Have I mentioned it's free? And you can do this with the link jenhemphill.com forward slash limited. And of course, I will hook you up in the show notes with that link. Speaking of budgets, (laughs) next week we are doing a solo episode en español, completamente en español about what a budget is. And I'm going to bring the cultural aspect of our community of our culture into the discussion and maybe why we never saw our parents do budgeting or did we see them do budgeting? Maybe it's a different form. Okay. I'm giving some things away, but I want you to come back and listen, especially si hablas español, or if you know someone that would benefit because solamente hablan español, I would definitely share them that episode. Bueno, pues, that is everything. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You could check out the show notes over at JenHempel.com forward slash 293. That is JenHempel.com forward slash 293. Remember that being the reina of your money starts at this moment. It starts right now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.